My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to episode four of season four. Today is a very special day on the podcast because I'm going to introduce you to a dear friend of mine and someone who has been a big positive influence on my own career when he coached me a few years ago. His name is Peleg Top. He's an artist and a coach based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And This interview is the latest installment of an ongoing series within the podcast where I introduce you to the various mentors who have inspired and guided me in different ways over the years. So far, I've interviewed Mimi Calvati on writing poetry, Kristin Linklater on speaking poetry, Stephen Pressfield on the artist's journey, Rich Litvin on coaching high performers, and earlier in season four, Brian Clark on creative entrepreneurship. I've said before on the show that when you learn from the best and when you have mentors in very different creative fields, you end up with a unique blend of skills, knowledge, and hopefully wisdom that can paradoxically help you develop a very personal style and substance to your own work. So Peleg is a coach for creatives And he does a lot of work helping people to grow their business, but it would be very limiting to simply describe him as a business coach. You see, he's a very spiritual person who's also very down-to-earth and practical. It's kind of hard to describe him, so I'm delighted I could record this interview so you can hear him for yourself. Okay, that interview is coming a bit later on in the show, and before we get to that, I'd just like to deliver a little motivational message about the value of giving up. I once attended a meditation retreat led by a Buddhist nun. One evening, she told us the story of the day she ran away from the monastery. She'd been working and meditating and keeping the discipline for years, but was discouraged and frustrated by her lack of progress. She felt as though she wasn't getting anywhere with her meditation and was questioning the whole point of her practice. One day, she was carrying a bucket from one part of the monastic farm to another. There was no one around. On an impulse, she put the bucket down, climbed over the hedge, and ran to the top of the hill and hid in the trees. Freedom at last! She lay down on the ground and looked up between the branches of the trees at the procession of clouds far above in the serene blue sky. She lay on the hilltop, staring at the sky for a long time, maybe an hour or two. But eventually she stopped looking at the clouds and sat up. She dusted herself off and walked back down to the lane. The bucket 
was still there. No one had noticed she had gone. So she picked it up and went back to work, as if nothing had happened. But from that day on, she told us, her practice changed. She had let go of the desire to feel like she was making progress or achieving something in her meditation. She was much more present, with much less effort. Which, paradoxically, meant she was much more aligned with the real purpose of her meditation practice. Looking back on my own career, I've reached the point of giving up several times. There have been a few times in my business when I've thought, that's it, I can't do this anymore. It's too difficult and too risky and too stressful. But then the next day, or a few days later, I would wake up and realise I could do it. And I did still want to do it. So I dusted myself off and started again. It's the same with my poetry. I've given up on plenty of poems, but never entirely on poetry. And some of the poems that I'm most pleased with are the ones that I gave up on more than once and eventually came back to. Like my ongoing translation of Chaucer's poem, Troilus and Cressida. There were plenty of times I put it away. It was too long, it was too difficult, it was too obscure for anyone to be interested in these days. So what was the point? And yet, that's the one that won the biggest prize I've been awarded to date. This may not be a coincidence. And between you and me, I was even tempted to give up on this podcast. When I recorded season one of the show, I realised it was far more work than I'd bargained for. It took a lot longer than I'd anticipated. And the process of putting myself out there with my spoken voice, instead of staying safely behind the keyboard as a writer, was a lot scarier than I'd expected. It felt like I'd bitten off more than I could chew, And it was a few months before I had the energy and enthusiasm to record season two. But you know what? Season two was a lot easier. Because I'd already done most of the groundwork. I had all the equipment and I knew how to use it. I'd made all the big decisions about what the show was about and what format it would take. And I had a great team in place with Javier and Alejandro to help me produce it. So now... When I record a podcast season, all that's taken care of, and I can focus on what I want to say, who I want to interview, and the questions I want to ask them. All the hard work and difficulty up front now looks like an investment it was well worth making. So, these days, when I experience that feeling of wanting to give up on a creative project, I see it as less of an obstacle and more of a positive sign that I'm giving everything to this project and it's stretching me to the limit. If I don't get that feeling at some point, it almost feels a bit boring. So next time you're working on a project and you feel like giving up, congratulate yourself. Embrace the feeling as a sign that you are now playing full out and giving it your all. Give yourself permission to stop. Step away from the project. 
do something else completely or just have a break and do nothing. Take as long as it takes to get some perspective on the situation. If you have a trusted friend or advisor who knows you and your work really well, maybe ask them for their opinion. Is this worth sticking with? Or is it time to walk away? After enough time has elapsed, weigh the decision in your heart and see if you still have a flicker of enthusiasm for the project. If you do, then get back to work. And if you don't, and if you can clearly and honestly see that it's not going anywhere worthwhile, then walk away with your head held high. There's no shame in giving up. Plus, you now know that when you set your mind to something, you give it your all. And if you haven't experienced that feeling of wanting to give up recently, then why not? Have you really been giving 100% to your work and stretching yourself with a bold vision? And if not, what are you going to do about it? When you set out on a creative career, you won't find any of the usual milestones of success. Unlike your friends who enter traditional jobs with clear routes to promotion, finely calibrated pay grades and impressive job titles, there's no career ladder for people like you and me. And there are no clear markers to indicate your progress. If you compare yourself to your friends, it can be easy to feel left behind as they climb higher and higher from promotion to promotion. It's obvious to all the world that their career is going somewhere. Whereas for you, on a bad day, it can feel like you don't have a clue where you're headed. So how can you chart your course and set yourself up for long-term success as a creative? This is the question at the heart of a short book I've written to accompany this podcast. It's called 21 Insights for 21st Century Creatives. The insights are designed to help you stay true to yourself and your inspiration amid the demands and distractions of 21st century life. They will also help you to win on your own terms by adopting a strategy for success that has nothing to do with the conventional career ladder. And I'm giving you the ebook edition for free. To pick up your free copy of 21 Insights for 21st Century Creatives, go to 21stcenturycreative.fm slash 21insights and download it right away. Peleg Top is an artist, a writer, a speaker, and an inspired guide who coaches creative professionals to succeed and become extraordinary leaders in the process. As you'll hear in this interview, he started out as a graphic designer, breaking into the very competitive niche of designing for the music industry. 
He ran his own agency, Top Design, for 18 years in Los Angeles. Some of his biggest clients included the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Grammy Awards, Universal Music, and Capitol Records. During his career as a creative professional, he designed over 200 album covers, he published four design and branding books, including the best-selling The Designer's Guide to Marketing and Pricing, How to Win Clients and What to Charge Them. Like many young creatives, Pelek was so focused on achieving success that when he finally got it, he discovered it didn't bring him the true fulfillment he was seeking. Unlike most people in this situation, he took it as a cue for self-exploration, taking a deep dive into the world of personal development and spiritual growth, and facing up to some uncomfortable truths about himself that he had been avoiding. At the age of 40, he sold his firm and took time out to awaken his creative free spirit. This led to him reinventing himself as a coach and an inspired advisor to creative business owners who were seeking prosperity, helping them to balance the pursuit of external success with inner work and the acquisition of self-awareness. I first met Peleg back in 2012 when we were both speaking at the How Design Conference in Boston. We went out for dinner one night and discovered we had many things in common as coaches for creatives and also on a personal level. So we stayed in touch after the conference, and our conversations led to me hiring Peleg to coach me, which was a transformative experience for me and my business. Peleg showed me the blind spots in the way I was approaching my work and my business. He helped me see the crucial difference between the work that was at the core of my identity and the things that were a distraction from my real mission. He showed me how much energy I was giving away on things like speaking gigs and training workshops and e-learning that were no longer exciting challenges for me and to cut them out of my work. He challenged me to put poetry at the centre of my writing life, to spend less time writing about creativity and more time creating. He also helped me reinvent my coaching practice to focus 100% on coaching inspiring and high-performing creatives. Since working with Peleg, my work has been much simpler, more focused, and more rewarding in every sense. I've almost completed my first poetry collection and won a major prize for an extended poetry translation. And every week... I coach a small number of inspiring creatives who are making unique and outsized contributions to the world. I've never been happier in my work, and business has never been better. And I'm just one of many clients who have benefited from Peleg's unique approach to coaching. Since then, the two of us have stayed in touch as friends and met up for adventures together on both sides of the Atlantic. I've also coached Peleg on some of his own projects from time to time. In this conversation, Peleg talks about his journey as a creator, from his early days as a designer in LA, to his travels around the world in search of wisdom, to his current life as an artist and coach in Santa Fe, New Mexico. He also talks about the importance of self-awareness and love for all of us as creatives, and how we can confront and transcend the culture of fear 
that is rife in the creative industries. And Pelik also shares a very unusual and liberating perspective on money and sets us a really fun and surprising creative challenge to help each of us find a healthier and more creative relationship with money. Peleg is an extraordinary and special person in my life, and I'm thrilled that I can introduce him to you today. Listen to this conversation, and you'll hear the wisdom and compassion in his voice. You'll also discover his gift for making big concepts like love and spirituality very practical and meaningful in your everyday life. Peleg, when did you first start to see yourself as creative? That's an interesting question, Mark. Um, Seeing myself as a creative um, happened a lot, a lot later than being in the experience of creative that I met myself um, as early as uh, as a kid. You know, I I didn't really realize that. I had this type of wiring in me, but I remember one of my earliest memories that I have as a, as a kid was uh, growing up in Israel uh, on the in the in the Shabbat newspaper at the end of the week. Uh, there was this um, the back of the newspaper. There was there was a um, guess the logo weekly competition where uh, I mean, it was a brilliant uh, you know marketing advertising scheme. But the paper basically presented about a dozen logos of you know brands and companies and um, readers would uh, have to guess which company it is and mail it in to win a prize and that was just the one thing i couldn't wait to do every every weekend was that was that little logo game and you know some people like crossword puzzles for me this was just so interesting and i don't really Mm -hmm. know why um, and I've done that for many, many years. And, you know, little did I know it was foreshadowing for my future um, profession as a designer, as somebody who who designs logos as well for for a living. Uh, but the 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 actual working as a creative uh, started right out of high school. Um, I didn't really have the um, means to. Uh, go to a traditional art school, even though I really wanted to, it was just not in the cards. And one thing I know about myself is that I learn by doing, and uh, a lot of it so oftentimes by failing as well. But uh-huh. uh, I'm a doer. You know, I kind of went to street, street university. I got a job right out of high school working for um, a record chain, uh, Tower Records in Los Angeles. And that was, uh, you know, really an opportunity for me to be around music, which was so such a big part of my life, and an opportunity to um, begin to earn my own money uh, in the world. And, you know, very quickly, the job, uh, being a cashier behind the uh, register selling records, um, moved very quickly to becoming the in-store artist, and this is something that doesn't really exist anymore. This 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 job, this position. Mm-hmm. 
Tower Records was a really amazing company because it had an art studio and an in-store studio artist for every one of their stores. And our job was basically to decorate the store, uh, create displays, uh, paintings of the album covers, promotional uh, contests, all that stuff. And I did that for six years. And that was, for me, the best art school and the best marketing school I could ever be in because I really learned... Um, design. I really learned typography. I really learned to mimic and copy some of the greatest artists and designers by working yeah. with their work. And, um, you know, there's a famous quote that I've heard once that says, um, copy, 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 and you'll find yourself. And yeah. that was kind of the experience of being immersed in this record world in this music world in the art part. But the dream was really to be, be a designer and to design the album covers versus copy them uh, in record stores. And after about six years of working in the record store, um, I took the plunge and decided to start freelancing. And luckily I had some independent clients that were from the record companies that would hire that, that had worked for me to uh, kind of launch my company. But it was a lot of hustling for the first few years in um, kind of establishing myself as a designer in that pool of um, uh, in that pool of industry, that niche. And it wasn't easy because that niche was an extremely tight niche. Uh, our directors and designers in the music industry were pretty much kind of uh, there was you had to get in. It was almost like a private club and. I wasn't really invited because I didn't have the, the credentials. I didn't have the education. I was just this kid off the street who worked at a record store. But uh, one thing I knew about myself is that I was very ambitious. And um, a couple of years after I opened my, um, a couple of years after I opened my design studio, I went to my first design conference. And that was a life-changing event, really, and a business-changing event because for the first time, I was able to connect with other creative people who were doing what I was doing, who were dreaming of what I was dreaming. I was able to meet the greats. I was able to learn from um, an unbelievable selection of speakers and uh, teachers. And that's when my eyes sort of opened up to the possibility of I can actually really have a career with this. He, it showed me some sort of a promised land, a destination of, of what's possible. And that was an, enough for me to motivate, my, motivate myself to continue. And I came back from that conference and pretty much for the first time began to market my work, began to understand and learn about marketing also understand and learn about the financial part of the business, the selling part, the proposals part, all those things that were completely foreign to me. And that only grew and developed. And um, I really have that experience of going to these design conferences and being part of the design community as a lighting force in the success uh, that I experienced in my business. And um, it was an unbelievable experience having this design shop. We did some amazing work. Um, 
I could say that I checked off a dream of doing the type of work that um, really resonates with who I am and enables me to, to a degree, uh, express myself, express my art and create things in the world that didn't exist before. Things that actually people enjoy and people get something out of and people cherish like album covers, like, uh, you know, you know, logos or identities. It was uh, an incredibly satisfying experience. <clears throat> and throughout that time, um, being part of the design community and, and being in conversation around the design business was ongoing and, it wasn't until about 15 years into my studio time that I actually started beginning a little bored with the work. And in hindsight, it was also a beginning of a, a bit of a spiritual crisis because my identity was so wrapped up in being a designer and being a creative. It was how I saw myself, how I was. And teaching other creatives how to navigate through the world of uh, business and the professional side of, uh, of creativity um, was something that I just loved to do. And I decided to help me kind of get a little bit more excited about going to work because I was kind of bored with the um, design experience at that time. Uh, I began to teach weekend workshops at my studio to other creatives around pricing and marketing. And what do you know? This thing took off. Um, it would sell out every month. And I found it to be such a natural experience for me to be able to teach other people and coach them into, into understanding who they are and what's possible and just explaining them the whole concept of marketing and helping them also begin to understand their own value in the work that they do in the world and the value in who they are because it was absolutely affecting the prices they were charging and ultimately the financial success and stability of their business. Um, after a couple of years of, of, of doing that and um, keep teaching workshops around the country, um, it was time for me to walk away from my design business. It was um, a pretty dark time in my life because I really had no idea what's next for me. I didn't really see that the coaching or the mentoring was a possible path, but I had to walk away. I had to let go of that in order to open the space up to what's next. Um, I had to let go of whatever it all was I was holding on to, to be able and to be able to step into what's next for me. But at the same time, that experience, little did I know, would open up such amazing new doors and opportunities and a true path of growth for me as a human being. Okay, so be before we come on to that amazing next phase, I'd just like to maybe just pause for a moment. I feel like in the last few minutes we've been blasted into a in a rocket going out into outer space. A time tunnel. <laughs> but, but you were on this trajectory of ambition, you know, as a word jumped out at me, that even though you didn't have the means to go to 
art college, you found a way, you got some hands-on experience, you worked, you worked your way up from being on the till to doing the, the art, you branched out on your own, you found clients, you broke into a very competitive niche or niche, as you might say, and you made that happen as a successful design business in a very competitive space. But even that didn't satisfy you. You you wanted to go beyond that. You started reflecting on your own practice and, and teaching other people. And then it sounded like the the agency had run its course for you. So, I mean, what when you look back at your younger self, what do you think you've learned about ambition from that whole experience? I love this question. What I can tell you today about ambition that I know now that I didn't know back then is what creates ambition is motivation. And the motivation that I had back then... Um, changed over the years. When I began my path as a creative professional, I was extremely motivated to succeed. I was yeah. extremely motivated to make money. Uh, I was extremely motivated to be independent in, in the world and to be able to create the type of life that I want, or at least I thought I want. That motivation was strong enough to create an ambition. I, th I believe that as we, as we grow older, as we mature, for those who truly mature, who truly begin to reflect on why they're doing the things that they're doing and why things are happening to them or not happening to them, and when they, we begin to ask ourselves those, those inner questions that we generally don't tend to do when we're much younger, the motivation oftentimes changes because we get to a point, or we are able to get to a point that forces us to examine our values and what's important to us. Because at the end of the day, we could achieve whatever level of success that we dream of and still not be satisfied because that success was being driven by a motivation that had to maybe unhealthy motivation. Mm -hmm. The ambition that was driving me back then, I wouldn't say it was unhealthy. It was maybe a bit unconscious. It was very ego driven and it was very much about the need of feeling important in the world, uh, the need uh, to prove something to myself. And, uh, yeah. At one point, I did prove it, but I realized that this ladder that I've been climbing on for so many years was leaning against the wrong wall. <laughs> so what did you see when you got to the top of that ladder? I began to see myself. I began to truly, truly see the things in me that I wasn't paying attention before. I began to see my wounds. I began to heal my wounds. I began to reflect and question, question who I was. The one consistent question that kept coming up was not just who am I, but who am I really? And when I began to ask that question, the right teachers began to show up. The right tools began to show up. Um, the right path began to unfold. 
but I needed to almost get to this very dark space spiritually and emotionally to be able to be vulnerable enough and courageous enough to say, I need help. I can't do this alone. And I'm not sure exactly how to do this alone, even if I wanted to. And this is an archetype, isn't it? You know, the creative, I guess the, the real archetype might be the, the rock star who mm-hmm. achieves fame and fortune and, uh, you know, is so focused on getting there and on the, the competition and the excitement of the ride that when they get there, they realize it's not what they wanted or it, it doesn't fulfill them in the way that they'd hoped. Sure. And, and of course, we've all seen this story end badly, but for it you... It, it can, but for you, it sounds like the answer was really looking in the mirror and, and looking deep inside and saying, okay, well, wh- what is it that I can, that needs to be worked on here? So how did you, where did you go from this stage? You were, you were running an agency. Uh, you had a team at the agency? Yeah, the agency was as small as one and as big as 10 over the uh, evolution of its uh, 20, right. 18 years in business. Um when I ended up closing the studio, we were extremely efficient and small. We were down to three. Um, so uh, it was one of those defining moments in my life where um, I set my staff down on um, a, a chill, chilly Monday morning in October and basically looked at them and said, guys, I'm done. And they looked at me and they said, done with what? Huh. And I said, this, all of this, this whole thing, this, this thing called top design, this, this, this role, this life, I want out. So I'm giving you a three months notice. I will support you in whatever way I can to whatever happens next and wherever you want to, to go to. Uh, but I need to move on. And, you know, in, in a way, letting my staff down was one of my biggest concerns in mm-hmm. making the decision in closing the agency. Uh, there was a lot of fear around it, you know, because there was a huge responsibility that I was carrying. I mean, I had some people working with me for 12 years. I mean, their livelihoods were, yeah. was dependent on me. Yeah, But I think that was also one of the first acts of self-love that I, that I consciously made where I choose me over everything else. And, you know, to my surprise, the first response I got from my staff that morning was, congratulations, it's time. Wow. It was a very emotional moment. And, you know, the, the way that things turned out was just ultimately beautiful because, you know, two of my uh, staff members decided to uh, continue serving our clients and uh, um, they wanted to open their own small agency. And this was a great launching board from them. And it was all done on a handshake and all done with a lot of love and trust. And um, they took over and I basically began a new path. And where did you go? What did you do? Well, I first went to see its spiritual director <laughs> because I needed, I needed to do some work. And I needed to be in a conversation where, where I feel like I'm really being heard from a soul perspective, not just not just uh, therapy, not just psychologically. And I began to do some work. I found a uh, spiritual director, a spiritual teacher that, uh, that I started seeing on a regular basis. And that was, uh, 
not easy. It was some of the some of the hardest work I've ever done at the time, which forced me to look at my own shit. It forced me to really look at my wounds. It forced me to begin to change my perception on who I am and who I can become. And one thing that I that I learned very, very uh, early down the road was that my creative free spirit was dormant. I wasn't creating for myself. I was so busy creating for other people, for clients, for friends, for family. I was very much outside in. And for the first time, I woke up to the idea of creating from the inside out. And I realized that I needed to wake my creative free spirit up. So, um, so I went to cooking school. <laughs> I decided to go to culinary school. <laughs> the obvious, the obvious thing, right? <laughs> well, my, my spiritual teacher gave me uh, homework to work on in one session. And he said, I want you to go home and make a list of all, all the places where your creative free spirit lives. And that was a really interesting question that I've never really asked myself. And I went home and I made this list. And the first thing I wrote on the list is when I cook. Because when I'm in the kitchen, I play. And I love cooking and I don't do it enough. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I wrote other things. I wrote photography. I wrote painting. I wrote other areas that I honestly don't engage much in, but places I know that that's where my creative free spirit comes alive. I went back to the next session and he said, all right, what's the first thing on your list? And I said, cooking, the kitchen. So he said, great. Your next homework is find a way to engage in cooking on a daily basis and do it just for you. So... I decided to go to culinary school. It was a dream, actually, to maybe become a chef. So I thought maybe that's the next thing for me, something that's still creative but very different. Mm-hmm. So I enrolled in, cook, in culinary school, and boy, little did I know how much culinary school was not about food. <laughs> <laughs> it was more about leadership and communication and teamwork and organization and production and empathy and all of these areas that I really needed to begin to pay more attention to. And every week I had a different kitchen partner in the classroom. There was a new teacher who taught me something about myself. It was hard work, you know, five days a week from 6 a.m. to about 2 p.m. I mean, I had no life for that period for that year. And mm-hmm. at the end of that, at the end of that uh, experience, I realized that I don't want to be a chef, that the physical work around it is not really something I'm interested in doing. And that I got what I needed out of the experience. It was... The timing was really perfect because right about a couple months after I graduated from culinary school, the designer's guide to create to marketing and pricing uh, book uh, that I wrote with my then at the time uh, mentor and business partner, it came out into the world and uh, became a bit of a launching board for my coach, for, for me working as a coach. Mm-hmm. It just opened up that that path and people started uh, knocking on my door to coach them around marketing and pricing and business and all that. And it was fantastic and a wonderful experience to be able to continue teaching people from that uh, from that space. But 
I was also in a very deep process myself in my own spiritual evolution. I was working in the background with my own spiritual director, with my own coaches, and with this continued thirst of self-knowledge and self-awareness. And one thing that I began to realize was that everybody that was hiring me to coach them and had business issues, whether it was marketing or pricing or clients, all those issues were personal problems in disguise. They all had, all those issues had to do with how people were meeting themselves, how they were operating, where were they coming from? And I began to see that there was a common thread here of creative people operating from a place of fear. Right. And that was, uh, that was an interesting aha because one of the things that I've learned in my own process of evolution was that I was operating from fear as well for many, many years, didn't even realize it. And even though I, I achieved some of the successes that a lot of people envied, I was still operating for fear. I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't content. I wasn't truly experiencing abundance like I could have. And the beautiful thing about being in this profession, as you know, Mark, is that almost every client that knocked on my door was a mirror. They helped me mm -hmm. see something about myself and me coaching them and helping them heal something in them, helping them understand how to begin to operate from a place of love and really have an understanding and an awareness of what operating from fear looks like in their lives. It was a healing process for both of us. And that space is a bit of addictive, as you know, <laughs> you know, we, we yeah. want to heal. We like to heal. And their level of satisfaction that I began to receive from this work, I couldn't even compare it to the satisfaction that I received from the design work that I did. Because a lot of the satisfaction that came from the design work really fed a lot the ego. <laughs> it fed my ego, it made me feel yeah. important. And, you know, we, we, we know how much ego exists in the creative industry. And mm -hmm. by now I've learned that that level of ego is really only a reflection of the the very common low self-esteem that creative people have there's uh, the ego acts as a protective barrier as a as a um, way of um, coping with the world and it's i can't say that we have a healthy industry we have an unhealthy fear-driven industry that we don't talk about, don't like to acknowledge, but I see it in every single, every single person that hires me to work with them, whatever question they have, it's mostly fear driven. It's they're mostly operating from fear. And, and honestly, most of them are not truly creating. They call themselves creatives. We call ourselves creatives, but are we really creating or are we just pleasing other people? And that shift of moving from pleasing people to serving people from truly creating with other people. That's, that's the key to abundance. That's the key to that flow that we all seek. That's the key to that space that we all crave. And the reason that we all get into this work in the first place. And, you know, there's a couple of things I want to pick up on here. What, one is you use the phrase, the thirst for self-knowledge. Now I've spent a lot of time 
with people seeking self-knowledge. You know, I've hung around with psychotherapists and lots of therapy clients and coaches and used to hang around Buddhist monasteries. There's plenty of seekers there. I don't think I've met anyone who's had such a thirst for self-knowledge as you. <laughs> and this this really shines through all the way through this story. I, I just want to draw people's attention to this. You're curious about your own experience and you're inquiring into where is this coming from? And one big duality that I'm hearing about is this choice between whether you're coming from fear or coming from love, which I've heard a lot from you about over the years. Could you say something about that now? Because that seems to be at the root of what you're talking about. I've learned that we only have two choices to come from. We can either choose from to come from fear or we can either choose to come from love. I've also learned that it matters less where you're going and it matters more on where you're coming from. So if I'm coming from a place of fear, I am looking at the world from very different lenses, right? I am yeah. not as trusting. I am. I need to be more in control. Um, I am much more ego-driven. And I am in a prison, in other words. But when I come from a place of love, I'm able to walk through the world with more compassion, with more empathy, less ego, more self-confidence. I'm able to truly show up in the world as the creator that I am. And this is the daily inner work that I find myself doing that always brings me back to that. Am I coming? Where am I coming from? Every time I make a decision or need to make a decision, I ask myself, where am I coming from? Because our tendency would be to come from fear. You know, yeah. fear is, it's almost like fear is, is the default state of being. I have an uncle in Israel who's a rabbi, my uncle Moti, and he once shared with me something that never left me. And he said, you know, we are always hungry. That's our default state. We have to nourish ourselves. We have to put food in our food in our bodies to actually let relieve the hunger, but our body processes it and we get back to hunger, which is our default. So it's our job to be mindful and conscious as to how to not stay in a place of hunger. So, you know, we eat three times a day and we now we do it as a habit. We don't even think about it because we don't want to be hungry, right? I, I relate the same story to fear. Fear is oftentimes our, our default. Our darkness is that default for many of us. It's our job to do the work to bring light into our lives. It's our job to be conscious around coming from a place of love and understanding what that looks like and understanding what that sounds like and understanding what that feels like to operate from a, from a place. We have to be aware of it because if we're not aware of it, our default is fear. That's the kind of wake up call that I love seeing when people get, when they really understand this, like in their DNA, it's almost like I take off a pair of glasses and I put a new pair of glasses on and all of a sudden I'm looking at life in a very different way. I also begin to see the people who surround me are perhaps not the same 
people I want to be with, people who may not be lifting me up to be the best version of myself that I can be. Because I chose those people coming from a place of maybe fear and insecurity. So it keeps feeding that fear and insecurity. <laughs> it's one of the reasons that I had, a, I had an allergy to going to design conferences after a while because there was so much negativity that I was feeling energetically. I'm not just saying it was a negative experience, but I was very sensitive to that fear-based uh, way of being that, wow, it felt it felt toxic. I, I you know, even when I <laughs> began to... Uh, speak more and more i would just go in go to the conference do my do my talk and just leave the conference because it's just hard for me to be exposed to all of that but the coaching work and the work that i've been doing with people over the years alongside my own inner uh, inner journey um, has been a healing process and has been a strengthening process and inside of that process my creative free spirit actually woke up in a tremendous way and I discovered the true artist in me. All of a sudden began to paint and sculpt and create art for myself as a form of self-expression without needing a client's approval. But that was a journey because, you know, if you would have asked me 12 years ago to stand in front of a blank canvas and begin a painting, I would freeze up. My inner critic would completely take over. I would not enjoy the experience. I would have a lot of anxiety around it. And the the work that each of us creatives, the inner work that each of us is challenged to do is the work that helps us get to that state, that natural state of being a creator and an artist. And if we don't nourish ourselves and love ourselves enough to put the time and energy into creating that. Well, I know, I know what that looks like because a lot of those clients knock on my door at the age of 50 and 60 and they are empty. <laughs> they, they're depressed. They have no idea mm -hmm. what's next for them. They, they're lost. We're on a high spiritual plane here talking about love and, and fear and so on. But, you know, knowing you, this is also very, very practical and down to earth, isn't it? I mean, could you give us maybe an example of the, a daily choice that we face between love and fear? Yeah, it is very practical and it needs to be practical for us to make it a practice. I think there's different areas in our life that we can pay attention to. We can pay attention to the conversations that we're having the way that we're listening to other people, am I judging the person when I'm, when they're speaking right now? Am I trying? Do I need to look important right now? It's really about being able to slow down the dial on our life enough to be able to observe ourselves. So we are having our own experience while we are observing ourselves. And that takes the work. That, that's the work. And if I can observe myself in my everydayness, in the way that I communicate with people, in the way that I make decisions, um, in the way that I care for myself, in the way, you know, I would say start with looking at what's keeping you up at night. What are the things that you're worried about? Mm, and, and, yeah. and once you identify those, ask yourself, well, why am I worried about those things? Why am I worried about those things? And then ask yourself, why am I worried about those things that I'm worried about? 
And the more I can ask myself those questions in those moments of peace that I am with myself, and this is where journaling comes in. This is where meditation comes in. This is where walking in nature comes in. This is where being quiet for 10 minutes a day comes in, where I can actually observe and yeah. ask myself those questions. I begin to increase my level of awareness of who I am in my everydayness. And once I begin to really learn about myself, and you and I know there's some amazing tools that we have access to, all of us have access to, that can help us observe ourselves and get to know ourselves better. You know, once we learn those things, we can't unlearn them. Once we notice those things, they begin to show up even more and we begin to to pay attention to how those things are running us. So it is in the little things, but the little things can become really big insights and big aha moments if we have the awareness, if we have the ability to notice that they're happening inside of us. Does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, it does. And I found it, you know, since working with you, I found it tremendously useful just having that question in the back of my mind. So where am I coming from at this moment? And I ask myself that obviously at moments when I'm more likely to ask when I'm struggling and invariably it's, oh, the, the switch has gone over to fear, right? So the alternative is, well, what would I do if I came from the love side and the, the creative right. side? Here's the thing, Mark, and it's, it saddens my heart to say this, but I believe a lot of us don't trust love. So many of us, so many of us yeah. have been wounded by love that we have a hard time listening to that voice because fear has become so loud. We, it's hard for us to trust love. And unless we begin to have a different relationship with love and really understand what love really is, you know, because we, our perception of love in the world, you know, has been shaped by Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> and what a great job they did of it. <laughs> and they continue to do. But look at the level of loneliness we're experiencing in, in our world today. Look at the level of fear that's running our, our, our country, our leadership. Uh, um, so many of us, it's, it's, it's everywhere, you know. And oftentimes when we experience somebody who's truly in love, living from a place of love, right, we become sarcastic. We don't believe it. Well, I think it's because we don't, we're not that exposed to it. So of course it looks foreign and weird to us, but coming from a place of love, meaning that I need to trust love. So if I'm facing my, if I'm facing a decision, if I'm worried about something or I need to decide something and my go-to decision would be fear-based, you know, I want to do this because I'm afraid this will happen as a result. That's a fear-based question. Uh, that's a fear-based uh, answer. If I can ask myself that question and identify if I indeed I'm coming from fear, I also have the opportunity to ask myself, well, what would I do if I came from love? What would it look like? 
Yes. And yeah. this is where we get to be the most creative, Mark. This is where we can really tap into our creativity because creativity lives in love. It doesn't live in fear, right? When I ask myself, mm-hmm. what would love do? What would be the love-based decision? And really sit with that and see if I can feel it and see if I can really play that out in my mind. And if I can trust it, that's my moment of healing. That's when I'm actually taking a different path in my life. That's when I'm beginning to really listen to that, that pure essence of who I am. And the more I do that, the more I practice that, to the smallest decision of what should I have for lunch? <laughs> Why am I? It's a big yeah, decision. Sometimes right? it's a big decision. Why do I want? Do I want to have this lunch because? I forgot to take care of myself. I only have 10 minutes. I have a meeting to go to next and I just need to put something in my body because if I don't, I'll begin to to get a migraine and I'm afraid I'll get a migraine so I have to eat something. So I'll stop anywhere, even McDonald's on the way and and just choose what, what whatever it is that I can just stuff in myself or can I make a decision that actually nourishes me? And even if I have 10 minutes... What's the, what's the choice that I want to make? And if I begin to ask those, those questions of myself, every time I make a decision or a choice, you know, even if I'm booking an appointment with a client on my calendar, make that a conscious co- choice that's coming from love, meaning take a look at your whole day. Where are you in that day? How are you caring for yourself yes. in that day? Or are you completely jamming your day with pleasing other people and forgetting about yourself until you get home at the end of the day and you are a wreck, <laughs> you're tired, you you just need to escape from the, the, the day you just had and you begin to make not the best choices for yourself. So this is why it's a practice. This is why it's not just a one-time thing. And awareness is a practice because we fall asleep every day. And another area I know that is central to your work, well, we fall asleep big time, is around money, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Creative people, um, I, I found that we have a really interesting relationship with money. Um, we don't realize how central that relationship is in our lives. Um, but it is. And when we begin to heal that relationship with money, when we begin to really question that relationship with money, that's when we really heal. That's when we really can step into a financial space in our lives where um, money is not a source of worry and concern. And it's not something that is creating the fears that are making us make sometimes very poor decisions around which, which who to work with or um, what to do with our money, you know? And, and I know this because I was there too. I was unconscious to that very much. The relationship that we oftentimes have with money is unconscious and fear-driven. And I'm sure you've heard many horror stories from your clients as well around money. There's so much Mm -hmm. coaching I've done with people around money that um, understanding that relationship and helping people shift into that relationship um, is, is a cent. I I believe it's a central part of our um, spiritual evolution. 
because money is such a dominant energy in our life. You know, um, I, I know this because it was a process that I had to go through. Um, you know, I had this idea, this wish when I was in my 30s that I wanted to be financially free by 43. <laughs> it rhymed and it sounded good. <laughs> and, you know, the irony was that here I was at 42. Um, <laughs> I had money in the bank. I, you know, I had real estate investments. I had a business that was, you know, financially stable, but yet I wasn't feeling financially free. And I said to myself, self, you, you got to take a look at this because you made a promise to yourself and you're not there. So what's up with that? That was a moment in my life that I realized that I need help, that I want help, that I want to have a different relationship with money, that I don't want to come from a place of worry and anxiety and fear, that I want to experience true, pure abundance in my life and a flow of money, you know, regardless of where I'm at in my life. And I, I did some work around that. You know, I hired a coach. I, I joined a mastermind group. I, I did some deep healing around that. I really learned a lot about myself at that level. And at the, at the end of that year, as I was turning 43, I, I could actually say, I feel financially free because what I realized that being financially free has nothing to do with the amount of money that you have in the bank, the flow of income that you have, the assets that you have, because both you and I know, and we've worked with people who are fairly wealthy, but still um, are um, not happy and worried about money all the time, you know, and yeah. The awareness around financially freedom really had to do with how do I know myself as a creator? Because there is a lot of money out there. There is infinite money out there. It's really only up to us to tap into it. And the way we do that is with our creativity. We do that by understanding that money gets created. Money gets created through service, through pure service. And as long as I trust my creativity, that's the thing. We got to trust that I can, that I'm able to create money whenever I need it, right? And the idea of living in a place of abundance is being able to, to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. If I'm able to tap into that, and if this is my way of being, if this is the knowledge that I walk around with, that I have that power, I have that ability, I have that connection, then that's freedom. That's liberation. I'm not being driven by the balance of my bank account because I know at any given time, all I have to do is turn on my creativity and create money. And that's fun. Can you give us an example of this? That, you know, maybe the difference between going in with this attitude of creating money versus the old fearful, worried, uh, scarcity mindset. Yeah, I have an example from my own life that I can share with you. Okay. About four years ago, I decided to travel. Um, I was on the heels of a divorce and some li other life changes and other separations in relationships. And... Um, I decided to 
take a little break and travel for a while. And um, during that time, I also decided to go kind of go off the grid and uh, not work, not see clients, not make money. Mm-hmm. And um, I tapped into my savings and I said, well, I will travel for a l- as long as um, my savings last and, um, and then come back. It ended up being a two-year travel process. And, you know, my, my money ran out after a year. And, you know, for the following, for the second year, I ended up living courtesy of my credit card. But this entire time, I really didn't worry about the money part. Um, I knew that when I return, even though I kind of went off the grid and abandoned my coaching practice, I knew that when I come back, in order to open up that flow of income again and open uh, and, and create money in my life again, all I'd really have to do is serve people again. So when I returned from my travels, I'd ask myself, what can I create? Who can I serve? And began to have conversations with some old clients. I started putting myself out there back into the world and started to re-engage in the type of conversations that serve people well. And money just started flowing back again. Within six months, I paid all the bills of my travels and I got back on track. But I wasn't worried about it because I knew that as long as I have my creativity to fuel my actions when it comes to creating money, I'll be fine. And if I hadn't had that, if I hadn't had that that knowledge and that understanding and that self-awareness about myself during the two years that I was traveling, I could have been a lot more anxious around what would happen if I come back. What would happen if um, I didn't have that ability, you know? Um, and thankfully, it this place of feeling financially free and understanding what it takes to create money, it enabled me to really give myself permission to be present to myself and the travels that I was having and not be consumed with, oh my God, what, what's going to happen next? So one thing I really love about this is that attitude that you came back into work with, which was, what can I create? Who can I serve? And you, you were really leading and going out there and, and creating things, which is very different to the, the passive attitude I come across in a lot of creatives where they're either waiting to see what comes in or they're waiting to see what the client wants or what the brief is, and they let that define their work and their business. But what you're doing is you're, it's, it's much more proactive, much more creative. Thank you. And I think it's a simple formula, Mark. Fear equals passive. Love equals active. So if I'm coming from fear, I am more passive. I I am waiting to um, for the approval for the client to love what I what I created in order for me to actually earn his money. Um, if I'm operating from a place of fear, I will initiate less. I would take less risks. I would not speak up as much. I would let clients lead the way. But if I am coming from a place of love, I'm more active. I'm more of a leader. I'm more of a um, a guide to my clients. Um, I have more self-respect and self-value and self-love. And I'm able to show up 
in a completely different way. It is a forward-moving energy. It's it helps us it helps us propel to whatever it is that's next that's waiting for us. It's being in action. It's being it's being active. It's that simple. And I want to pick up on the the phrase you used just now, pure service. And maybe if there's somebody listening to here thinking, okay, well, I can see how that works in a service business, like, I don't know, design or coaching or consulting or or whatever. But what about if I'm an artist? Does this attitude, does this approach still apply? Absolutely. It applies to everything we do in life, not just with our clients and our work. It implies in every relationship that we're in. And if I'm an artist... I want to begin to ask myself, why am I an artist? Why am I an artist? Why am I creating what I'm creating, whatever it is that I'm creating? And if I'm creating it just to serve my ego, to film, to to make me feel important, to um, be a space where I deal with my insecurities, I'm really not in service to other people, consciously anyway. But if I begin to see that my art serves others, if my art brings more love into the world, well, the way I make my art begins to change. The way they approach marketing and selling my art changes. And the level of satisfaction changes because now my art is a conduit for something. And if I can see that and if I can put a service-oriented energy into it, into it, but truly service, like serving someone for the sake of serving someone, not for the sake of coming, getting something in return, not for the sake of getting paid. If I'm serving you because I want to serve you, right? And, I, and that's a completely different relationship. Money doesn't play a role. When, when, when here's the, the, the bottom line as human beings, when we truly feel like we're being served and that we're being served from a place of love and with, that's the intention, well, money is, doesn't seem to be an object at that point. And I see that from my own life as a creator and a creative, as a business owner, that when I can really get a sense that I'm being seen and being heard and being guided and being served, right? The decision is very easy to trust you. And the value of what you bring to the table increases. And I may not be able to buy your art right now or work with you right right now because of my own financial situation, but maybe I will in the future. And I may be the type of client that can work with you. And that does have the financial means to buy your service or buy your product or buy your art. If I feel that emotional connection, if I feel that I'm really being served, if I look at a piece of art and there's some sort of a resonance there that just catches me, you know, I see that when I sell some of my paintings, when, when a person looks at a piece of art and all of a sudden, they see the story of their life reflected, and only they can see it. The, the, the desire to, to own that piece, to pay the artist for that piece, um, becomes a very beautiful thing. 
it's a very natural thing for me to want to create the money to buy this piece from you. I think we've come full circle from where you were talking earlier on about it's really important where you're coming from, not worrying about where you're going to or how you're coming across. And what I'm picking up from this is if you're really and genuinely coming from a place of love and creativity and sincerity, the buyer or the client or the collector, they will pick up on that. Absolutely. Either through you directly or maybe through the work itself. Absolutely. I think it's one of the reasons that everybody, when they think about every, most creative people, when they think about selling and money, and I've heard this answer come up in hundreds of workshops that I taught, people begin to feel like a used car salesman, you know, because yeah. that's the energy that we feel when we walk into a car dealership and that salesman's coming to us, towards us. There's, we don't really feel that they're actually coming here to serve us. We can really sense that all they care about is just making the sale, is is selling us a car, right? And mm -hmm. you know, had a had had we had the experience of truly feeling like well being served, like think about it. If I go to a restaurant and the server at that restaurant does an exceptional job, they go above and beyond as to what I expected the experience would be. And they help create a dining experience for me that is memorable and nourishing and fun and joyous. I, I My natural inclination is to thank them, is to reward them, is to give them something back because I really sense that, wow, they really care about me having a really good experience, right? It's That's a very different exchange of money that happens Okay. And talking of a very different exchange of money, Peleg, you have a very unusual creative challenge for us today. And so if you're listening to the show for the first time, this is the point of the episode where I ask my guests to set you, the listener, a challenge. And it's something that is related to the theme of the conversation and that you can do or at least start to do within the next seven days. So Peleg, what creative challenge would you like to set us? I love this challenge idea. And um, I, I really invite every, every one of you who's listening right now to use this challenge as a, a way of gaining a little bit more self-awareness around your relationship with money. And the challenge is really around getting the experience of, of, joy around money so that there would be an ongoing flow of joy around you creating money in the world. You know, we, we, we have a lot of experiences with paying for things and using money for commerce. And we, we, we forget that money is, is a much more powerful tool. And it's a tool that, that enables us to, um, to grow and to to progress and to uh, connect and uh, travel and do all the things that we want to do in life, but it also it, it enables us to um, sustain ourselves in our life and in our culture today. But for that flow to happen, there has to be a balance of giving and receiving um, to keep it healthy. And unfortunately, I don't think that we really give as much as we could when it comes to money. We we are often too consumed with worries about where we can get money from. <laughs> um, so, 
So the challenge mm-hmm. this week really is about getting that a little more balanced in our lives, getting the experience of giving money for the sake of serving others, for the sake of creating a moment of happiness, a moment of joy, um, and to practice it enough to kind of have a, an, an idea of what it feels like when I'm in that flow. So the, so the challenge is I invite you to go to your bank or to your um, ATM and withdraw $180 in cash. It could be pounds or whatever your cur- uh, currency is. But, but take those $180 out in $10 bills. So now you have 18 $10 bills. For the next week, I invite you to give away $10 to 18 different people. Give from your heart. <laughs> give and see what happens in that moment. I, I can promise you this is an absolute phenomenal exercise in generosity. The way that it would feel your, fill your heart can be remarkable. And imagine walking through the world for the next week looking for opportunities to give because you have this challenge. And you have 18 people to find. So rather than worrying about where am I going to get my next paycheck from or where is money going to come from, I'm focusing on where can I give this money away, right? And it could be the the checkout person at the supermarket who smiled at you or um, a street artist or a homeless person or um, your son or your daughter or somebody you know that isn't needs money and $10 is what you can give them today. Start looking for those opportunities and begin to pay attention. And if you want to take this a step further, write down each one of the experiences. So have 18 journal entries around the experience of giving money away, coming from a place of love and generosity. And I have to ask, why $180? (laughs) Why that number? <laughs> well, this is where um, I reveal some of my um, some of my attraction to numerology and to um, other <laughs> other spiritual methods. You know, eighteen um, is a very special special number in the Jewish tradition. In numerology, it's the word "chai," which means life. So, when I give money in increments of 18, uh, when 18 is the sort of the driving number of the experience, um, I'm, I'm tapping into life, life source. And that's just something that I wanted to include inside of this practice, because the $180 or pounds that you will be um, giving away that week will be, um, Connecting you also to a new energy in your in your life, so it's it's symbolic, and you know, being a person that loves symbols, <laughs> um, I just found it was an appropriate number, and it just feels right. And 18, 18 uh, transactions of giving money away is um, not too little, not too much, just feels right. My curiosity is satisfied. Thank well, you. I would love to hear some of people's experience, Mark. Is there a way for people to share them on your blog or? Sure, sure. So we'll have the comments open on the blog, the show notes. So if you go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash P, 
Peleg, and that's P-E-L-E-G, then you can leave a comment just under the interview transcript for the episode. So, Peleg, thank you so much. As always, it is an enlightening experience to be in your presence. I'm so pleased I could introduce you to my listeners and share some of your wisdom with them. So if they would like to learn from more from you, where should they go to find you? Thank you, Mark. And before I answer that question, I, I just want to say that knowing you and the gifts that you bring into the world, the gifts that you bring to my life are remarkable. And I am so impressed with this podcast project that you've been so dedicated to. But most of all, I'm impressed with how you love in the world and how you share yourself with the world and the way that you are so dedicated to love. I think that's what makes this, this space and this conversation with you um, just so delicious and so inspiring. I mean, you, you and I, we know this, we could be, we could talk for hours and we often do. Uh, but to be able to be in the space with you and, and serve others, uh, thank you for that opportunity. Um, if uh, anybody wants to get in touch with me or to learn more about the work that I do in the world, they can uh, visit my website, which is uh, pelegtop.com um, or email me directly at uh, hello at pelegtop.com. And uh, I answer every email and every uh, request that I get. So thank you. And I would just like to say a conversation with Peleg is a life-changing <laughs> experience. So if you're feeling curious, then then reach out to him. Okay, Peleg, as you say, we could talk forever. And, and I'm sure you will be back on the show before too long. So um, thank you again. And I really look forward to hearing the responses to this conversation. Thank you, Mark. Keep loving. You have been listening to The 21st Century Creative, hosted by Mark McGuinness. You can find the notes for today's show with more information about my guest and links to the sites we mentioned, as well as all the backlist episodes of the podcast at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. If you enjoyed the show, I do hope you'll subscribe in iTunes, and I'm always grateful if you could take a couple of seconds to just go to the iTunes podcast app and give the show a rating. If you'd like to have the 21st Century Creative Foundation course delivered to you for free, giving you 26 lessons of advice and worksheets on carving out an original creative career, you can sign up for the course at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. And if you are an experienced creative and you're curious about getting my help as a private coaching client, then the first step is to go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching questions and answer the questions on that page. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.